Before we start this podcast, the team at the Racing Line Pod would like to thank you for listening and supporting us. So that we can continue to grow as a podcast, we would love it if you could give us a rating and review on your podcast platform. This helps us to grow as a pod moving forward. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Boys, episode 42, Racing Line Podcast. This weekend racing um, out of Spielberg in Austria for the uh, Austrian Grand Prix. Um, welcome, guys. How are we going? How's our weekend? Let's jump straight into it, shall we? <laughs> Didn't even give us a chance to answer. <laughs> <laughs> How was your weekend, boys? Yeah, good, mate. How was yours? Yeah, really good. How was yours, Joey? Um, it was... It was um... It was fine. A lot of racing to watch, so no complaints down here. All right. Well, let's jump straight into it then. Uh, interesting weekend of racing. Uh, we're going to talk about supercars and Formula One tonight. We'll begin with Formula One. One of our uh, um, kind of breakup weekends with the sprint format, uh, sprint race format, main race format um, gives us something a little bit different to talk about, boys. Um, but for anyone who hasn't watched the weekend of racing, um, you can go do that now on whatever mini you want to um, you want to watch. But um, to cut to the chase, first place on, on the Sunday, Charles Leclerc. After the Saturday's racing, he seemed pretty confident. I don't think we were as confident that he would win the race as he was. But on the Sunday, he kind of Ferrari really had all the answers. Um, Verstappen in second probably should have been third. Um, but a, a huge um, engine failure for um, Carlos Saints as he was chasing down uh, Verstappen in the last 20 laps or so. And then, again, maximising the most um, from the car and from the opportunity, we had Lewis Hamilton coming in third, who really did nothing wrong. The Mercedes kind of, again, it's differentiating itself from the rest of the mid-pack or the midfield, um, but it's still a... a a ways off from um, from the top two teams, kind of like where McLaren was last year, um, but was able to maximise his result, finish on the podium. So there's a few talking points um, from this weekend, boys. Where do you want to start? Oh, mate, where to I think start? I'd like to start with um, with Red Bull, to be honest. All right. I mean, it was a probably not the best result for them, but in hindsight, it's not it's not it's not really a bad result. Um, you know, I think Max was pretty com- uh, was pretty comfortable to let what looked like he was pretty sort of reserved when when um, when Charles went past him. Um, there seemed to be that car seemed to be burning up its tires later in the stint, which which was dropping a lot of pace. Um, in the sprint race, he looked really comfortable, which I think was a bit of a bit of a surprise on the Sunday that he didn't look as comfortable in the um in the actual race. Um, I thought it was actually pretty uh, humorous on the Saturday that um, Charles nearly wiped out Carlos in the sprint race, made a very, um, very questionable move um, that I thought he could have just waited for the next DRS zone, most probably, to um, to make his move. But all in all, I think if you look at the weekend, yes, um Charles got the win. Yes, Ferrari got the win. But I think um, Red Bull probably will look at that weekend and think it wasn't it wasn't really too bad. They didn't lose up much no. ground. And um, I think it's there was like no a break even for them, really. Bonus. Yeah, um, really. Well, They've got, well, a, got more, a, a, a comfortable enough lead. If we're going to start with Red Bull, let's start with the incident between Perez and um, George Russell. Uh, kind of eerily similar to what we've seen in the past with Hamilton and Albon. Just, uh, just want to get your opinions on it. Who did you think was at fault? Was it a racing incident? Um, it definitely um, gave Ferrari the incentive, really, to, to maximise the points from the weekend. And, and, and moving into the second half of the race, it definitely did look like it could be a big upturn in points um, for the Scuderia. So with that incident, how did you guys see the fault or not? I think, I think when you're looking at that, initial incident between Hamilton and Albon a couple of years ago, FIA 
their hands were kind of tied regardless of who was at fault, I guess. It was pretty much bang on, exactly the same as that incident. Um, so, yeah, I, I was okay with George getting a five-second penalty. Mm. Um, Perez, he seemed to recover okay, but then obviously too much damage. There was... The, the blew, it seemed like there was damage to the side pod. Well, blew a hole through the side pod. Yeah, right? yeah blew a hole through the side there pod. Was there was a big really... hole in the side pod. Mm. I, I kind of... I am... Um, I felt a little bit bad for George to honest with you because initially I thought he was at fault, but then when I looked at the onboard, his car was in full lock and mm. the trajectory trajectory of Perez's car wasn't like he was obviously on the outside and normally you'd want to skirt around the outside, but he was turning in a lot more than skirting the outside. So it seems like there was going to be like an inevitable pinching point. So for the, I kind of thought racing incident, he, he really should have given more room himself, Perez, I thought. Um, so then I was a little bit surprised if the five-second penalty, just because there from was George's... There was a big difference between the incident... But... Keep going, sorry. I just thought there was like... I, said, a... I think there was a big difference between the, the incident between George, I thought, and um, Checo than there was between Gasly and, um, and Vettel. Like, Vettel was much more... Um, and, and Gasly sort of tangled with him. Whereas if you watch the onboard from George, he's in full lock committed to the corner mm. and then Perez sort of just appears and there's really nowhere for him to go. Mm. Um, I think the issue that, is that really, corner is such a key guy, yeah. guys. I think the issue is Checo, his car was a little bit ahead compared to yeah. George's and that's where they've gone. He's got to give yeah. him space. I think they've gone letter of the law because yeah. like he technically was far enough um, beside him to have a little bit of like um, ownership of the real estate. But mm. then in, from like my that. point of view, in the same token, um, he's definitely not on the racing line and he's definitely not, not in an ideal position. So I kind of thought that like he can be there, but if you're going to be there, you need to skirt the outside. And he put, he kind of turned in a lot more than I thought he needed to to either cover off a little bit or I'm not really sure what he was trying to do. But I think from his point of view, he's also got to realise that the car inside him isn't just going to disappear, like regardless of whether you feel like it's your your real estate or not. Um, the car's not just going to disappear. So I kind of thought he probably didn't do enough to help himself. Um, but I also understand like the letter of the law Um like consideration that the FIA might have taken to that. Um, at that stage, though, sent to the back of the grid, um, I kind of thought there was a chance that it's really, could... really a hard. It's really a hard corner to hug. It is, but at the same time, like if you're going to be out there, you kind of have to. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I'm if, saying, if... I'm saying, if you're on the inside, it's a very, it is oh, a yeah. very hard corner to sort of hug your inside. So yeah, like if you're yeah. the driver on the outside, really. Um, sort of aware that it's it's a it's a brave corner to make an overtake on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, it's it's it falls away, so you're turning in, and the track falls away. So there's obviously going to be a lot of understeer itself, and then you know you would probably heard Martin Brundle say it in the in the telecast as well. Just the nature of the corner is the more you tighten for that corner, the more wash you get on the front end, and it kind of just pushes you to the outside of the corner as well. So I kind of yeah. I don't want to keep talking about it too long, but I just thought from my point of view, it looked like a racing incident. I felt like George was a little bit hard done. Um, and really what we, if anything, what we kind of were uh, robbed of was a, a, a battle between um, George and Lewis, George and Lewis. For, for the third on the, on, because he had to obviously mm. come through the field again. Um, at that stage, you know, Red Bull kind of looked a little bit under the cosh, obviously then, um, uh, Perez retires and it, it's looking really good for Ferrari. Um, obviously, Saints didn't really have the pace of of Leclerc, but it still definitely was enough um, to get into second. Um, I think for you know Red Bull for the majority of the race were pitting early, just trying to be reactionary. They realised that they just needed to kind of stick to their guns as opposed to play the same game as Ferrari. But at the end of the day, with the issue that that we saw with with Saints. Um, like you said earlier, Joe, they kind of 
you could probably call it like they got split even on that. You know, they would take a, what was it, five-point deficit pretty easily uh, in the push for the championship. So, so Ferrari definitely did not maximise. Did not maximise their race. That that car that explosion of his of his engine was insane. Yeah, yeah. Like it, was... it just you saw it. You saw the um the actual car, like the the body of the car as he yeah. was on the straight, just kind of move like, like that. Like if you're then... if you're a marshal, that wouldn't have been um, the funnest thing to see. No, and then he's trying was... to chalk the chalk the wheel while it was bloody rolling down the hill. It was crazy. Yeah, like. It was like it was tough for him as well because he can see the the flames and he's trying to get out, but the car keeps rolling yeah. downhill. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. The Ferrari seems quick, but we've seen a fair few issues with it now. To be honest with you, the other, well, maybe they're they're running it at you know over beans and that's yeah. why they're getting that much pace out of it. Um, one thing that I did see this weekend, not just with the Ferrari, but also watching the Haas against the Mercedes and the McLaren, because they were all, all kind of congested in the same area today, or this race meet, was just how um, lacking that Mercedes engine is on top end. Because, I thought they would have had it fixed by now. Yeah, because in the sprint race, it took Hamilton far too long to get ahead of um, Mick Schumacher uh, in the sprint race, and the same thing seemed to happen um in the main race as well. And he obviously did get through at the end. Um, I wouldn't say he was lucky, but a bit of tyre preservation, a bit of tyre strategy did, did help him with that as well. But for the most part, um, yeah, that was interesting. And I don't think they were particularly... Uh, they've got an issue there. They've got to rectify that because that's probably the biggest thing that's holding them back to getting you know on par with the, with the Honda engine or with the... Um, or with the uh, Ferrari engine. And I think McLaren are struggling from the same thing amongst Aston. a raft of other things. And Aston, Aston Martin were in were like nowhere, no man's land again. And um, I'd like to see that Williams car that Albon's driving with the upgrades yeah. with a power unit that's on par with a Ferrari or a yeah. Honda, how good that unit, how good that car would be because it, was, it looked a lot better this weekend. I think he's, I think, uh, I think Albon, like, I don't know, we can talk about it now if you want, but I think yeah. he has come in this year and has done a phenomenal job. Um, I think for the most part, not many people were expecting a lot from him. He seemed very... By the end of his time at Red Bull, he seemed done. He seemed like he had no... It was very much you know, the same as the mindset that Gas- that Gasly had when he left Red Bull. So I was surprised to see how he, you know, reintegrated with the team. And he's kind of done the same thing that Gasly did. Mm. He's refound himself. He's refound his pace. He's by far and away um, miles ahead of Latifi in how he's pushing that car, how he's driving that car. The fact that he qualified 11th, was it? Or got the car to 11th after the he sprint race. got 11th and he got a penalty. Yeah. So, I mean realistically for the Williams to be that far up the grid is pretty 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 good when Latifi's sitting on the back row well so, Latifi doesn't have the updates yet that's the difference Latifi's still running the old car if you look at the um, Albon's car the mm. whole new the whole side pod has changed it's very much Ferrari the red, they're saying uh, is it a Ferrari or red they had a was it's it a more red Ferrari Bull? than Red Bull mm. okay um, okay so I mean I want to see it on a track that isn't straights uh, yeah. I want to see in the corners a bit. I think all the um, Mercedes power unit cars struggled this weekend, mm. which was interesting for, um, for Mercedes because last weekend they, they looked like the fastest car in the grid at, at Silverstone for big portions of the race. So it must be... A lot of flowing much, corners at Silverstone. Yeah, it must be in the flowing corners. Um, but yeah, I think if you look at it, like if you look at just how racy Albon looked this weekend compared to the midfield, mm. it did it, in the eye test, it looked, it looked like a much better car. Um, so we'll see what ha- like happens coming forward at a few diff- like a bit more varied tracks. But what you're saying about Albon this year, I think his I think his hiatus away from the sport probably refreshed him a bit. Mm. Put him in put him in DTM for a year. He was racing he, for victories, racing like you know just sort of had a year to just you know, probably fall in love with the, with motorsport again. Yeah, but you know what's funny? Like how you say that, like he took the hiatus away during his hiatus. I wouldn't say that he was setting the world alight. 
and I was kind of like in DTM, he was doing well, but Lawson was definitely doing better than he was. And I was kind of like, when he comes back, is he going to have what it takes to compete? Because the DTM didn't really show me anything to suggest that. He was, um, he was, he was a one. I mean, he won a race. I'll give him that. He was one um, bad Lewis Hamilton lunge away from being an F1 race winner. I mean, Carlos yeah. only achieved that last week. Yeah, I, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, saying that his talent in F1 wasn't worthy. I'm just saying that after his sh- um, his stint at Red Bull and then going into DTM, I was not particular. I wasn't say that I was. Um, I didn't feel like he was in the greatest of headspace at that time. He was doing um, a lot of sim racing and and setup work for for Red Bull yeah, in that, in that yeah. year off. So, um, but he's come back awesome. Like he's he's been. I didn't expect him to look this good. A bright light, that's for sure. I, I think we've mentioned it. I didn't look. I didn't think he would be that much better than Latifi straight off the bat. Mm. And I think the biggest thing is like, even as like, I'm not a Williams fan, so I wouldn't understand this as maybe as much as you do, Joe. What the pain? But, <laughs> the pain, but also I don't know. We're feeling it now, mate. The fact that. Um, with George Russell, there was a big, like, him going to Mercedes, while it's good for him, there was probably a, a huge, oh, like, now that he's gone, are we going to go back to being at the back of the grid? Because he was kind of like our shining light um, in a car that wasn't that good. And then everyone was like, oh, we'll see what Albon can do to resurrect his career. But I don't know if there was, like, the same belief that he had what Russell had to pull something with that car, like, to do something with that car. No, there definitely wasn't. But I think, I mean, I don't know if, if that's even still there, to be honest. But um, he's definitely like done he's more. He's doing a phenomenal job. Like the car has limitations. Like it's, it is not that good. And we can tell from this update package that mm. they've pretty much changed their whole philosophy on the car. So mm. like that's a in, sort of an in, um, indication of how off they actually are to what they thought it was going to be. Um, but with all due respect. That? Yeah, because with all due sorry? respect, like look, I, I, at, look at Mercedes and McLaren. Yeah, hundred percent. I I'm, I think Williams. The fact that they've gone, you know what? Our original idea was shit. Let's let's try something different. Mm. That's amazing. Like you, McLaren was my example. The car's been pretty shit all year, except for maybe Imola, mm. and they're sticking with this philosophy. And it's doesn't. And it's they've not said, working. They've said we're not even going to do any more upgrades this year. Yeah, I thought that was actually a very strong indication of how disappointing this year has been for McLaren, to be honest. I mean, if someone said to me, McLaren's going to stop upgrading that car halfway through the year, I'd be like, no way. Like, they're going to be pushing for a top four. Um, Are they allowed to allocate funds to next year as part of the I think that's what they're... I think from McLaren's point of view, they realise how lacklustre this car is. And rather than trying to... Because honestly... With the car they've got now, they're probably still competitive enough to fight against Alpine for fourth. Mm, so that Alpine I think, looks so much better. It's it looks stronger now. Hundred percent, I I agree with that too. But I think that um, between like for the rest of the year, they can probably be competitive and compete for fourth, depending yeah. on the tracks they're at. And they're kind of saying, well, rather than putting any more resource into this car, um, let's just focus on on next year's car. And, and go from there because the reality is um, the car this year sucks and it has not been he's, good. Here's he's an interesting thing though. If, if um, Haas haven't bought an update yet, but they're supposed to bring one update this year, if mm. the Haas bring an update and that gets in between the, um, the McLaren and the Alpine, which I can definitely see happening after races like this, like that Haas isn't that bad of a base. It's sort of like the reverse, it's the reverse McLaren that we've said a few times. Wherever they do well, the other one doesn't. If that brings update that sort of can get itself between the Alpine, that's going to take a lot of valuable points that you could see McLaren scoring away from them. 100%. I mean, I just think like, like realistically, like when you see, when you see like Lando and Daniel had pretty similar pace this week, sort of Mm. qualifying pace was similar. Race pace was very similar. Um, yeah, like it's it's not a it's not a good look for the t- like as I keep saying like for the team that they were talking up themselves to be at the start of the year, their philosophy has stunk, and sort of Mercedes had that problem as well. But Mercedes has done a few rectifying things, but but I think they've I sort of think, thrown in the towel. I don't think their I would I don't think their philosophy stinks. I think what they've realised is that the car is not good enough. 
and then they've moved on. And I yeah. don't, I wouldn't say that I have an issue with that um, because it's pretty obvious. Like I think when you've got someone like Seidel who's, I don't know, he's German, so he's pretty pragmatic. I think he's kind of at the point where, well, the car's just not good enough. Why spend any money yeah, but this is testing developing now. They further, can, pardon? Anything that they develop now is going to be carried over think, until think, next well, year. Well, I think, everything that they're te- I think everything that they're doing now will be testing. They'll be testing what they've got to see. Like, who knows if they've even been able to quantify the faults with this car because that will still be a huge thing. And if they haven't been able to quantify the faults of the car, well, then they might just be using this particular year to test the issues of the car hmm. and then, you know, put all that, that information into the development of next year's car. That's true, um, but I, I, I hate to I hate to say this, but we knew that there was problems with that car from race one. Like we've known that yes, it has good has a has a there's a good side to it, but there's also a really bad side to it. And mm-hmm. other than Haas, they are the only team who has not brought a significant update to that car all year. Yeah, they've done minor things, but now they're saying we're not going to bring a significant update till the end of the year. So the only thing I can think of. Is they're going to either chain? How long is their engine supplier de- engine supplier contract? With ch- Mercedes, Mercedes. I think it's a two or three year deal. Well, then they're going to they're going to have to change philosophy on this car. Well, like, they're not going to totally. change. They're not going to change supplier. Let's be honest about that no, because because that Mercedes will get on top of their engine. I think that's that's fact. Um, but what they will need to do um, is definitely. You know, develop a better better car, and I think what they are probably looking at now is what cars are working well on the grid. What changes have been made to teams like Williams, that whatever upgrades are happening, and they'll kind of take that into next year and and develop a car from it. Because the fact is, we're talking about the car like it's like it's absolute rubbish, and it is compared by their by their standards from their trajectory over the last few years. But they're still competitive against the Haas. Like in inverse, like you said before, when they're competitive, Haas isn't. When Haas is competitive, they're not. Alpine have got races where they shine really brightly, but they've also got races where they go um, non-existent. Yeah. Um, and and Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin haven't really um, uh, had any kind of reality to the preseason promise that both were expecting. So I think if uh, it's what it's going to come down to. For the for McLaren and those other teams that are fighting for fourth, is how can you minimise the depth of your troughs troughs over the course of the season? And if they're able to go to every race and just maximise the event, so for example, this week it was what seventh and ninth. Um, yes, it's not going to grab any headlines. It's not what they would expect, but both cars finish the race for the most part. They get you know. Um, both cars finishing the race most rounds and they're going to say can we just kind of get to fourth this year and then kind of resurrect ourselves for 2023 and if and i would say that that would be uh a successful way to salvage this season for them and i think that's how they should be looking at the season now can i can i just say that midfield battle i think at one point there was a there was a passage of of driving between i think it was lando the mm. two Husses, an Alpine potentially was in there, and an Alpha. There was like five or six cars. It was it was phenomenal. It was similar to what we saw at Silverstone last week. Yeah. This, yeah. this midfield battle at the moment is producing better racing than the battle up front by far. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't want to. I don't want to harp on it again for too long. But boys, did you have any issues with the DRS, the DRS zones? Yeah. It doesn't make. Um, I have, too many I have on one track. big gripe. There's this the long straight. I don't know why you put a DRS zone because it's so long. Mm. You get such a drag, sort of kick if you're behind. Like you is don't. That, is that the one after turn one? Yeah. Yeah. The, the runway. Yeah. So you go down the runway and then you're getting a DRS train still, and it's like, at least give, the driver behind, like in in front, a fighting chance, to to defend. Like even what we're saying about it about Canada moving it up a bit before you activate it to give them less space to sort of do the move in. Mm. I mean, it just it it looks like, and I don't want to go on about that thing we did last time, but yeah, it looks on a track that is mainly three DRS zones that you don't need DRS zones in. It just looks it looks so artificial, particularly <laughs> when 
they've got DRS zone corner, a second DRS zone. Like it just makes it yeah. so easy. It's, it just it's, makes yeah. Three so straights in a row and all three have a DRS zone. Giving him no no chance to sort of defend. The other issue I mean, that even, even you look at it like you look at um, Mick Schumacher in the um mm. in the sprint race. Yeah. Great like it was great defensive driving, really aggressive defense defensive driving. And I'm gonna touch on Mick after this point, but at, like at the end of the day, it's inevitable that if the guy's got DRS, there's so many chances for it, mm. and you eventually just get slightly closer, slightly closer, slightly closer, and unfortunately, you're just a sitting duck at the end of it. Mm. I mean, it is it's it's a massive advantage the DRS either make it a slighter advantage, like make it a smaller gap, mm. move them up the grid, or just get rid of one of them. Like I don't know why we have tracks that have three, some tracks that have two, and then this one sort of like when it's a it's double stacked because it's straight corner there, like DRS zone corner DRS zone. Mm. It sort of makes no real sense. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Like I just, it, like, it's good to see the passing, but I, I don't know. I think more this season than ever before, it's starting to look, it's just starting to look. You know why? Artificial. You know why it looks worse this year as well because they can actually follow each other. Yeah. Last year they couldn't follow each other, so the DRS yeah, zone you're point. always starting further back. So you had to yep. lunge at the end of it, but now you can ride on the guy's gearbox. Once it opens, yeah, you're there. You just pop and in and out. What what yeah. I would like to happen with the DRS zones on this track is I would take out that second one, that runway. So you have it down the pit straight in a DRS zone. Yeah, and then you have a DRS zone after turn four. Three. I think it is the the. The 90 degree turn that's uphill. Yeah. 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 You know what I would like to see from F1? Yeah. DRS zone after that. No DRS. Of, I reckon get rid of DRS zones, but have DRS time per lap, per race, however they want to do it. Like IndyCar. So if they've, well, if they've developed the technology, they might as well keep it because it obviously does provide the, the same boost as a turbo, essentially, turbo boost. Mm. Um, but rather than you know, mandating where they use it and how they use it, give everyone the chance to use it. Um, but you've only got a certain amount of time to use it per lap, let's say. So that way, hopefully, you have people overtaking at different times. Um, and then at other times, they're not going to be able to defend because they've already used up that particular resource. So I think even just oh, making it a little that, bit less... On that, on that point, just get rid of it because... It, most people <laughs> attacking and defending will use it at the same time, which will negate it. So just get rid of it and just make people pass each other like normal. But I think that's the issue. Like something is still probably needed to make. There's not. We've seen how close they can run. Like we, see, when everyone's in a DRS train, mm. it's just that's awesome the issue. racing. The yeah, it's the awesome racing. The train is the issue, but. Yeah, but I'm saying but when 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 everyone's in a DRS, DRS train, no one except the front guys in the like is disadvantaged. Yeah. So it's so it's, it's open season for everyone. And we've seen yeah. cars going three wide, groups of five. You know, like these awesome like sort of go kart looking sort of yeah skirmishes. Race. Yeah. And okay. and they don't need the DRS zones to, the DRS to, to to have any of that. Mm. Like make the cars a bit smaller, give them a bit more room. And and we're good to go. Like what do you think about this? If we've got a, um, if we have sprint races, could we potentially see? Would it be trial it. plausible for F1 to trial running a race without DRS, just to see the spectacle that is presented without that particular I like technology? To, I, think I think in their mind they've embedded it too much into their identity. To be honest. Mm. Um, like there's no word on the street at all about getting rid of DRS. They've I've heard Ross Braun talk about it in the future. They'd like to get rid of it, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. What just before we um, you know, move on? I got I got a thought in my head. What do you guys think about all the penalties for track limits and Good. A, a track that we have no runoff on most corners, and these drivers are starting to get penalised. What do you think? I have um, no problem with, with track limit penalties unless they're given out evenly. Yeah, sorry. I, mean, I don't mean the, the penalties themselves. I mean the, the drivers exceeding the track. I mean, is it, is, it a, is it a thing of them 
being used to runoff and all that sort of stuff? Or I is think, it? What's the point of going on a track walk before the race if you're not going to look at Learn your extremity? I mean, the photo op, mate. Yeah, no, like it's 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 a. I have no problem with it. There's no way that they don't know about the track limits. Stick between them, you know, and it's not. They have four chances. Mm. So I mean, yeah, what you, and every time we see, got a warning, got a warning, got a warning. So if you want to use it to your advantage, you know when you're going to get stung. Um, I think slow yeah, down. What has to happen? I think they need to police it more in practice. Uh, because what we're finding is like for whatever reason, by come like normally by the time the race comes, you should be pretty kind of savvy with where the boundaries are and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't seem to be registering with some of our drivers, and that's probably because everyone's pushing the limits and they're all trying to find the last tenth, and that's that's racing in and of itself. But if there's penalties that are given out in practice. Um, or well, there's some kind of implication. Well, what of penalty can you give out in practice? It's practice. Mm. Well, in IndyCar, if you if you over if you don't like if you go over the like track limits, you can still be penalised with the time that you set in practice, which will affect the group that you go out in in qualifying. Now, yeah. it's not going to adversely affect your qualifying per se because you can still um, do something with it. But by the very nature of the split, split qualifying sessions it does make it um, like there's easier groups and harder groups depending on where people finish up. So you can be disadvantaged because of it. Or they could just, rather than giving them four chances, give them two or one warning. I have no problem with the four chances. If you exceed four chances, I feel like a five-second penalty, not you're an idiot, I think like a five-second penalty is, is fine. Oh, no, I like yeah. the I like say the penalty. I want five, them to be penalized. Say you yeah. gain a second and advantage after yeah. four, yeah, five second penalty. I think that's I, I feel like running four. Uh, anyway, I, I think it's fine. It doesn't look good for the sport though when that's, that many people are. That's that's what I'm trying to get penalties. at. It's, it's not the penalties yeah. themselves that I have an issue with, or the FIA yeah. issuing them. It's yeah. why are the drivers? And I know they're pushing the limit, blah blah blah, but they should be able to push within the track. It's supposed to be the best, of the best, right? Correct. Um, I agree with that because there was a point in the race where it's like literally half the field mm. was given the penalty within a handful of laps. Yeah, yeah. it was like Lando, kind of Lewis, Gasly. I can't even. It was so. If many they do them. it, if they do it, if they police it this harsh, mm. it'll be gone within four races, though. Yeah, like true. people will get the gist. I hope you so. You know what I mean? Well, what about this? I wanted to talk about this tonight as well because I think that he's gone from strength to strength this season, and he probably deserves a bit of. Uh, screen yes. time Mick Schumacher I want to do a shout out I got week. a message I got a message this week from one of our listeners from a cousin Mick Schumacher of mine. I, 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 no, yeah, from <laughs> Mick Schumacher yeah we're moving on up um, boys yeah um, I, I, I said I was going to give a, a verbal shout out to my cousin Nick Axiak because he sent me a message and he said you guys didn't give Mick Schumacher enough, enough love last weekend and mm. I said if he makes it a more than a one-off and has a good weekend this weekend. We'll give you a shout out and we'll give um, Big Mick a shout out. And I'll tell you what, yeah, he, he, really, awesome. he, he really did get the elbows out and I think show like what like what we were saying a couple of weeks ago that he really like just give him a bit of time because he has the goods. And when that car is on, like there's it's no it's no mean feat holding Lewis off and and. Mm. But for the DRS that we've been talking about, he had he had him dead to rights, mm. and then in the I, race yeah. as well, getting sixth. I mean, I was awesome very impressed job. with his racing on the on the Saturday as well. Like, did you hear his dummy spit? I enjoyed his. <laughs> Good on him. I enjoyed his yeah, dummy spit because it's the first time we've seen a bit of emotion yeah, from him. I feel like everyone needs a bit of mongrel, you know, particularly if you're at the top of your game and you're racing, etc. And I, I was happy to see a bit of mongrel in him. I was happy to see that he had the fire in his belly, so to speak. Um, and I was happy that he was willing to kind of speak up about it too, be a little bit un-PC. And everyone, like the rhetoric on, on socials was, oh, he's, don't become like that Mick Schumacher. But I'm like, nah, he needs to be, he needs to look out for himself. He needs to think of what's, what's in his best interest. And I was happy to see that on the Sunday, he was able to back up his dummy spit with actual 
performance. Good results. Yeah, because, I mean... Mm. I didn't agree with his unspit, of... by the way. No, I agree with it. I, I agree didn't agree with, with it. it because if you look at it, him get, allowing him to get the DRS would have just brought Hamilton the opportunity to maybe overtake both of them and lose the point, like two points into one. So, I mean, I definitely agree with Haas saying, no, you do your own race. Cause we're, we're but they should counting. have done. Well, I think the point he was trying to make is do it earlier. Like what's, the, have, what's the difference? Same shouldn't thing. Shouldn't have ever got to that point. They didn't want. They didn't. Anyway, I thought I didn't. I I I didn't agree with his dummy spit, but I liked the intention of of like you know, um, I've I've got not rights, but you know, I've I'm a I'm a part of this team as well. Let's go. Mm. Um, and then yeah, a great result on Saturday. Sixth is, I mean yeah, he was helped by the fact that two of the leading cars didn't finish, but that's what a lot of these good results are sort of banking on as well. Um, and he looked like a proper like a proper racer this weekend. Last weekend too, but this weekend, I really he, felt like he looked like he a looked, man. He looked phenomenal. He, he kind of looked like he's grown into the sport now. It looks like he's grown, he's got the confidence now to, like it's almost like he's, at, he's past the point where he's driving the car not to crash it and he's yeah. driving the car to race now. And yeah. that's exactly what you want to see. And it takes a little bit of time. And we know that it normally takes um, Schumacher the second year to actually get into, mm. like, in whatever category he's in, to get into that particular frame of mind. But I'm really happy that he's there now. Um, I think that um, also the fact that he could take it to um, to Magnussen, and yeah. he did look faster than Magnussen, um, like this weekend was really was really good for him as well. Um, because we've kind of been talking about how good it was for um, Haas to bring Magnussen back as someone who can be the reference mentor. for reference mentor for Mick Schumacher, and the early season definitely did favour Magnussen in the in the head-to-head battle. But I think the last few races, Schumacher's definitely kind of, I think he's earned his place on in the field. Uh, I think yeah. that his his name now, as hard as it might seem, he's starting to have you know, a name for himself um, through the racing that he does, not so much through his um, father. His father, which is which is awesome, and like I can't speak highly enough of of his performance this week, and it was really, really strong. Very happy, very very happy. Um, there's someone else that I wanted to talk about. Charles, uh, we can talk about. It wasn't Charles, but yeah, we can talk about Charles. He needed it. He needed it. He did what he had to do. I think he had all the answers, to be honest with you, this weekend. Um, the Ferrari looked awesome. Going to, like, when you see the car perform that well, when nothing's going wrong, they probably should. Have, he should probably have another two or three more wins this year. That's. I just want to know how hard they're running that car, though. Yeah. Like, are they really yeah. like that? That blow up really scared me. I'm like, man, are they running it that hard to to be able to get it? Like, you got. France coming up soon. Going down that straight, if if they're running it that hard to to, to compete, um, like the question is, is, do they is, need to run it that hard? Because they were well, going past. I, I feel even they feel like they have to. The Honda, that is. Like, do they need uh, to go that hard? I, I, like, I just I just don't know if like with with we're only halfway through the season now. Mm. How many more failures they can afford? Like they're already so far back in both championships. I mean, say that was Charles who who had that um, this weekend. Championship's um, over. Championship's done. Like, I think the team's championship is done. I said that months ago. Um, <laughs> but um, say that was Charles T- today, championship would have been done 100%. Um, so it is, I feel like there is definitely still problems with that whole Ferrari Unit like we've like even we saw a couple of weeks ago. I, I think it was was it um, mixed car who that that died. Uh, the engine had a problem. Was it one of the Saubers? I don't know, but it is a, it is a consistent thing with these Ferrari engines, and it sort of seems like a roll of the dice of which one in in, in a race doesn't survive. Well, I, um, I'm never confident when a Ferrari's in front, no matter how far in front they are, that they're going to finish the race at this point. Like even Charles yesterday had the um the throttle. Yeah, the throttle issue. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was just like, oh, this guy's gonna have to retire because of a stupid throttle issue here. Yeah, but he managed to pull it through. But 
they just they don't inspire confidence, especially when they're talking about Plan E. How many bloody plans do they have? Like honestly, um, it's, a good point. it's a good point. Yeah, um, like when you look at even you look at the Mercedes, yeah, there's problems, no reliability problems. No. You know what I mean? So well, you know what I'll say this. I'll, I'll yeah. to to side with them a little bit. What I think, like if we look at um, Red Bull last year. Yes, you can say that you're going for the team's championship. It's pretty obvious the first thing that they were trying to do was to compete with Max for a championship. Just to... Because as much as they talk about the team's championship being more important, that's not the one that people care about. Like, it's not the one that people are thinking about if you're a fan. So you need to win the driver's championship. And it was pretty obvious that that's what Red Bull was pushing for last year or the last couple of years, like all the eggs were in the uh, Verstappen basket. I think Ferrari would be more than happy to, um, to win a driver's championship with Charles and not be too worried. About, like Obviously, the car is still very de- develop, developmental. It's a new engine. I think from a realistic point of view, they know there's going to be teething issues. But for them, with Charles being well, – actually, they were pretty close going into to the last race. Um, but they need to get mm-hmm. one of those people in a one of those drivers in a position where they can drive for a, a race for a, for a championship. Top two to limit the points that Max can score. That's the biggest thing as well. Well, that's what that, well that's what it was looking like yesterday until until the end. So, but the fact of the matter is, they've got the speed to win races. They've done it again um, today. We're getting close to the mid-season break. They're going to have to figure out how to make that car more reliable. It's pretty obvious. Um, but what's the championship deficit now between Leclerc and and, and Max? Thirty six well, points. Here's the yeah, problem. Something like that. Leclerc isn't competing against Max at the moment. He's competing against Sergio. No, but in all but reality, he's, compete, he's competing against Max. He is, but he's um, not. Because Sergio's second. Yeah, but one one DNF yeah. for Max and Charles wins, and it's game one again. Mm. Yeah, it's it's it's. I'm pulling it up now. So Max is on 181, Sergio's on 147, and then Charles is on 138. So it's still 45 points or something like that. Even after yesterday? Looks like it. Unless this is not updated. I think what we need, yeah. It's good. Reality is to close it up. Oh, it's 208, 170, look, look. So that's changed since that one so Verstappen's on 208 oh, Leclerc's on 170 Perez 151 38 points. Yeah. 38 points okay so it's still a bit they're probably going to need a, a retirement from from Verstappen to to like really get them back in the hunt that's just mm. I think the, the fact of the matter um, but yeah it's interesting because like, they needed to do it they need to get a few more I think they probably need two or three more wins on the bounce to give them some kind of um, momentum momentum moving into the second half of the season. But the beautiful thing about the current F1 season and the F1 seasons, you know, moving forward is that they're all so bloody long that there's more than enough time to to, to get on top of that. Um, Just quickly, do you guys think there's going to start being some um, friction between Carlos and Charles? Probably, but that's good. Just, I think that, I think that when you're like, I think it's inevitable when you're, I mean, when he was at McLaren and they were just trying to develop the car to get it to a point where it was competitive, it's very easy to be civil and to mm. work together to develop the car for the betterment of the team. I think when you're in a position where you're racing for a championship and at the same time your teammate is slightly better than you probably and is doing slightly better in their quest for a championship, it's, I think it's going to happen. I, I, I don't really have an issue with it personally. I am. Um, I think it's good. The only the thing I can think that will ruin it is if um, either either one of them causes like a, a double failure or, mm. or takes one of the teammates out. And I think the lunge that Charles did in the <laughs> in that sprint race I thought was ludicrous. And like I thought, man, you guys have to be working with each other, not slow. They they were I think dog fighting for about a lap and a half, and then and 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 Max just. <laughs> chuffed off down the road they lost their drs to him and everything um which is all points really in the in the long run for them um and i thought man if that if he had or if carlos sort of hadn't um yielded which he didn't really even need to do um he probably did because he was his teammate 
um, that could have ended badly and probably drawn a, thrown a wedge in there. But I think that now Ferrari will definitely prioritise Charles. Now, maybe Charles wants not to prioritise him because whenever they prioritise him, they fuck up. <laughs> so maybe he's like, just leave me be. You always have to um, swear, right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> he's passionate. You do. So, sorry. It's like, you've got to, it's like you, you want to be, you know how in movies sometimes they just throw in a swear word to get the rating from PG to M15? So it's I'm like, edgy, it's man. Like I'm you edgy. You put a token swear word in just to like we're a big we're a big boy podcast. It's all right. Just make sure you don't tick the yes, this <laughs> yeah, is the exactly. kids part on YouTube. Yeah, on YouTube, yeah, exactly right. Um, well, why do you have to bring up stuff like that? Why do you have to make a scene? I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny. You're like Michael, you're like the god of this podcast. The other um, the other racing that took well, there's a bit of racing, but the other racing we'll talk about tonight from the weekend was the Townsville 500. Um, back at Townsville again. We spoke about it last week being one of you know, our favourite tracks on the calendar, or maybe a couple of weeks ago, but being one of our favourite tracks on the calendar. H, it was your first experience watching a race at Townsville. Um, from all your correspondence, it seems like you really enjoyed it. Um, but sure. Joe, to begin with you. Um, with me? Yeah. Why do you, you begin what? with H? You were just asking a question. Because he watched a second race. <laughs> yeah, I thought, it was a, I thought it was a great race. Yeah, I didn't watch the first one. Um, I mean, talking points, I think Dick Johnson Racing are definitely on an upward swing. They have looked really good for two weekends. Um, as always, Shane Van Gisbergen looked pretty formidable. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I, I had a thought this week was it looks like every track where, t- where teams were good last year, they seem to be good this year. I don't know if it's because teams are sort of limiting now how much money they put into the sort of the end of the year in terms of R&D and stuff like that because it's, um, you know, there's only a certain amount of race, like we're halfway through the season, the the time frame of these cards is limited now. And I also think that when a team has a, a setup that's locked in and they can just rock up to the track and pick up from where they left off and they're not chasing, it just allows you to sort of try a few things that worked a bit better that didn't work, go back to here. Whereas you look at a lot of the, like even Walkinshaw and Erebus, who started the year very well, have definitely hit a, a mid-season slump. Um, Erebus more than Walkinshaw, but still. Um, Tickford, who started Tickford, very have kind of Yeah, they definitely clawed their way better. back to some civility. Like it was interesting, though, because the, the, the Tickfords and the Walkinshaw cars, or oh, one of the Walkinshaw cars looked relatively even this weekend um but there definitely was a gap between uh triple eight dick johnson racing and then the chasing pack much bigger than like that gap was bigger than going back between the midfield teams well when Um, you think about last year particularly with the longer race with um okay it was actually quite interesting because last year uh, particularly the second race where Waters and Van Gisbergen had that amazing race. Van Gisbergen was able to get up to the back of Waters um, pretty easily in that race, and then he just wasn't able to make the move. So yeah. on race pace, it did look like last year the Triple Eight was stronger. Now this year, um, race one, for the most part, Waters had a pretty ordinary race on the on the hards, um, but his qualifying pace was phenomenal. Uh, it just happened that, you know, I mean, when we look at the fact that he was on old tyres and was 0.042 of a second behind uh, Van Gisbergen, who was on a brand new set, that's pretty good for qualifying pace. Um, and, you know, who knows, if he was able to start at the front, he might have been able to stay there. But it just seemed like this weekend in particular, Van Gisbergen's, um, Van Gisbergen's race pace um, was far above everyone else. Now, Davidson well, was- had a good run. It wasn't um, until the last but, stint. Yeah, but I mean, like, he's, you don't, he's, like... he's my biggest gripe of the weekend. You give mm-hmm. the teams two sets of the, the super softs that they're running, which is awesome for the strategy in the race. Yeah. Like I have no gripe. Yeah, I love with that. the huge I love the huge delta the disparity. Between, yeah. yeah. The only thing I, I have a gripe with is that how come the first time they can run them is in the race? At least give them one set for practice, not one for every practice session, but give them one set for practice just so it takes a bit more of the randomness out of 
sort of running that super soft tire because mm. yeah, it was a lot quicker, but when the teams don't know sort of where the drop-off point is and the thing is there is, there is a big drop-off point mm. and the drivers sort of haven't felt it. Um, I sort of feel like it threw a bit of randomness into the air and I don't really like sort of uncontrolled randomness. And then you look at um, one thing I loved was when Van Gisbergen went on to that um, super soft in the end of the race I, I thought, oh, he's just he's just pacing it out. He'll be fine. Mm. But then he, after you heard him speak at the end, then it was it became very apparent when when Anton just kept chasing him down. Was that yeah? His car was set up beautifully on that hard tire. Once he changed to the softer tire, he couldn't maintain sort of the feeling and the pace that he had on that soft tire, no matter what. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Also, um, also- so what I, I thought actually, maybe just give the teams one more super soft tire in practice. Stupid lunge by Anton at the end. I loved it. Yeah. I would have been I would have been disappointed if there was no lunge at the end. Yeah. What do you think of the gamesmanship by SVG, but awesome. Even better. I loved it as well. I, I loved everything about it. And I, I, I loved lunge. I loved when he, they got out of the car and Anton went to say something to him and he just like yeah. get out of my face. I'll be honest with thing. you, but I kind of thought if Ant, like Anton went in deep, how do you have gone off the brakes 10 meters beforehand just turned it a bit more rotated side I by reckon, side like i like there was enough um of a gap there for a move to be made and i thought like if he was able to pull it up a little bit more and muscle sv like just muscle him as opposed to turn him around there was probably half a chance then i was i was, I was impressed that number one i was impressed with his closing pace in the last three laps because it all happened in the last three laps kind of got two and a half seconds and then it turned it into nothing very quickly. Joseph, if you kind of look, you're gone. Um, but yeah, I thought I'm there was back. half. Yeah, you're back. I thought there was half a move there at the end. Hey, John, jump to you, mate. Yep. For the race, you kind of were unsure of the track layout and what it was going to do. But what was your takeaway? Yeah, look, I guess coming from a Formula One perspective, street races never really... Um, are conducive to the best kind of racing overtaking. So I just looked at it from that perspective. But then you corrected me pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty good race, mate. Um, you know the Tickford boys. I was surprised to see Randall out there so quickly, but obviously ran the alternative tire to everyone else, and he opened up a pretty pretty big gap at the start. But then massive drop off. He finished outside the top ten, yeah. which is surprising considering he was in the top ten shootout. Um, but I was surprised by Tickford's kids, like all three cars in the top 10 shootout this weekend. I haven't really seen that since I've been watching it. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing is Walkinshaw uh, at the moment, one hand behind their back, like Percat, I feel has done nothing all weekend. I think we've he's mentioned nothing it before. All year, yeah, really. We've mentioned it. He's done nothing all year. So I don't know what the go is there. I don't know how confident they would be moving on to next year with him in the second seat. Um, and then Triple Eight, I guess, Feeney did okay, but again, he wasn't in the top 10 shootout. His race pace, obviously, the car's good enough to recover. I think he came sixth or something, but um, Tickford seemed to have the most consistency across their team, as well as Dick Johnson. It was really interesting. I think I think Walkinshaw, like they, I mean, we were talking about, we were talking about it, Scaife, Crompo, everyone was talking mm. about there being after the start that they had to defeat them and being a real title contender. And to see Mostert, what, 450 points behind in the points at this stage is pretty dramatic. Um, and I, he's, it, what it reminds me of is how, like, even in his time at Tick, but Tick would have kind of lulling towards the end of most of the time there. He was pulling out results, getting race wins, really where the team hadn't done so much. It was more just through the skill of the driver. Uh, at the start of the season, the car was on tune and he was smashing everyone and it kind of looked like the team had got their act together. Uh, but it's almost like it's reverted back to the team kind of being a bit all over the place. And just through the skill of the driver and the talent that he has that he's able to pull together um, these good results, um, and I think it's a it's a bit of a shame. When you, like, sounds weird. He's probably 
probably one of, if not the most talented driver on the grid, but we still haven't seen him in racing since he was 18. We haven't seen him in a car really, uh, unless it was the year that he broke his leg and he was leading the championship. We haven't seen him in a car that's really there to push for for a championship. So, I mean, hopefully with the, he's, you know, he's, the, the he's reset on. next year, it changes. I don't think um, in hindsight, it, it seems like every track that they were good at last year or decent at last year, they seem to be getting relatively decent results. And all the tracks that they struggled at last year, they seem to be rocking up on Struggle Street again. Mm. Um, I think the other issue that you need to take into consideration is the fact that last year there was a lot of back-to-back rounds, two yeah. Darwin races, yeah, two, two Townsville, races. Townsville races. So a lot of teams, um, particularly teams like Triple Eight, were able to get better at the second event whereas now we're going to tracks just once and you've got essentially one or two practice sections to get it dialed in, yeah. not a whole race weekend to do it. And I think they're struggling with that a little bit, um, particularly with the hard tire as well. The hard tire, that it they, they, they were fine on the hard tire. They struggled on the soft tire. Mm, like Chaz okay. just burnt it out way too quickly. I mean, the first race he didn't, he was doing relatively well, but they just pitted him way too early. And I thought it was a game of a... Okay, it, at the time, it, it looked was good early, but then he kind of just well, felt like a stone. I feel like I feel like that's the problem that they didn't know how long it would last, and they're sort of going off word from yeah, Dunlop. They they say it how long it was going to last. They had um in the, you're talking about the first race. They had Slade on that tire for 32 laps, and yeah. he was he was doing pretty well. Like that was a pretty good indication. And I kind of thought, well, if he's done 32 laps in the afternoon, they could probably push it to 35 in the evening yeah, 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 once yeah. the temperature goes down. But it was even interesting the difference between the Slade drop-off in the Blanchard car compared to the Mostert drop-off, which seemed like it was a lot more steep. Well, it looks um, like the, probably the, shows... the Holden just couldn't handle it like the Ford could because we saw the Fords hold it pretty good in mm. both races, but mm. with Slade and then with Anton. And, then... and if you saw the top 10 layer at the end of both races, um, with the exception of Mostert and Van Gisbergen, and it was a very Ford-heavy Top yeah, 10. there are a lot of Fords. Yep. 100%. Um, I'm just waiting for Walk and Tour to go to Bathurst now because at least we've got such a big buffer there from last year that teams can afford to catch up a little bit. <laughs> Bathurst, they're good at. Sandown, they're good at. Clipsal, they're good at. Like, not Clipsal. Um, yeah, Yeah, Adelaide. Gold Coast, they're good at. Adelaide, they're the good bend? at. No, they're pretty... Nah, tra- Northern that's that's a Triple Eight track, mate. That's, like that. that's up next. Yeah, they don't that's like That's a DJR bends. track too, actually. Triple Eight and DJR historically have been quite strong there. Tickford are always crap there. Um Let's talk about our other bit of news from last week, which was Jimmy Golding joining um, Peter Schuberis at Premier Racing this weekend. First race, poor guy kind of got stuck in um, JC's start. Got shafted. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty ordinary. Like, it was pretty ordinary for him. Probably good in the sense that it took all the pressure out of the race and he was able to get a bit of um, just race experience. Time in the Um, car. Yeah, exactly right. And and then to see him finish ahead of Pitha in the second race. Um, what, a grueling, what a hard weekend, though, to get thrown into as your first weekend back. Yeah. Two yep. 250Ks in the top end, you know, in yep. like big temperature, long races, you know. Um, well, I, I, was, yeah. I thought he really sort of accounted for himself well. I wasn't expecting much, like nicely. Um and I mean, well, they, the team said that the team said as much. The team kind of said before the race, like we don't want him to be a hero. We just want him to bring the car back in one piece. Like there was literally no expectation on him to um, deliver like, a result. Yeah, and he didn't um, get so, severely outperformed by his teammate either, which was a good sign. Yeah, no. no well, 100%. He, I think the problem for Pith is going to be if if Golding does acclimatize and start having. Like, I think what we've seen with the car is that on its day with its driver, there's definitely more potential in it this year than there was last year with Team Techno. Uh, there's like a higher ceiling. And I think if Golding, given his talent, given his youth, um, if he's able to start kind of taking that car in the, like I think for that team, top 15 finishes is probably where they should be aiming. And if he's able to start bringing the car, you know, in that area, um, consistently, um, number one, it's good for him for his long-term future there. But I think also 
and the team has said as much. They're even considering the the pitha seat at this stage. Um, oh, really? I think yeah. I think it's a oh, show yeah, of the um, ambition intent. of the team, the intent of the team. I mean, last year they were a little bit hamstrung. The driver market was closed for the time they took over, um, so they were a bit hamstrung there. Um, but I think the fact that they're already kind of talking about, you know, that seat uh, two weeks after just uh, you know letting Jacobson go, kind of shows where they want to um, take the team. And that's really imp- like that's really. Here's one thing uh, that I will impressive. say about that seat. Out of all mm-hmm. the, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say this like to be a dick, but out of all the drivers <laughs> on the on the grid, mm-hmm. I feel like Pitha has had a few chances now, and yeah. They're probably always in in back market teams, but I feel like he's never shown enough when he was at Tickford, or even like early on his in his career, to sort of be given a higher seat. And he's never he's never out he's never outperformed his car to sort of been taken a chance on kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like we've seen yeah. drivers like Heimgartner recently sort of outperform their cars, deliver consistently good results, get better seats. Whereas whereas, whereas Pitha. And I suppose I suppose Jacobson might have suffered from this as well, whereas um, they've never sort of had a consistent run of, of of good results that would warrant them getting sort of looked at for another seat. Mm. So if, if Pitha is on the chopping block next, I probably would like to see, and like like we we're saying last week about someone like um, Joey Mawson, yeah, there's no he's he's never raced before. But if he's going to come around last or second, like last learning a totally new sport, I'd rather mm. see someone who's never done it before than someone who's been in the sport on and off mm. for nearly a decade now. You know well, what I mean? Think, yeah. I think saw... someone like, sorry, H after sorry. you, mate. I was just going to say, I think I saw or read somewhere, it might have been on Speed Cafe, that they're talking to Fullwood for that seat. Who is? Fullwood's in a seat. Yeah, yeah that would make sense year. for me because I think Ford hasn't oh, been happy yeah. at BJR and they he would bring in a bit of money, money that they wouldn't have to find. Um, I think he's probably a slight upgrade uh, probably from both of those guys. I don't know, debatably. Um, Ford's definitely better than the younger two BJR drivers, to be honest. Oh, he like hasn't been, he hasn't been home gut yeah. level, but he's the definitely been is, the second best. Yeah, I think the issue at BJR is, and it's obvious, I think, um, Smith brings in all that SCT money, so he's not going anywhere because it's, it's, his, that, it's his it's his family business. A car that funds himself, even though he's <laughs> shown nothing to justify him. Like it was really weird. Jack Smith was killing it at every category until he got to supercars, and Bejar has a car that can perform, but he's just out of his depth, um, I think. And then obviously Macaulay. I mean, it's really weird. They talk about him having a good race when he finishes in the top 15 on the commentary, and I'm like, you've been racing long enough. <laughs> um, so that's an issue. But I think getting back to the point with, with Golding, like, I mean, it's a good chance for him just to finish the season. If Like, let's say he was to have a good result at Bathurst or a good result in one of the the, the Crown events, Newcastle, Clips or whatever it's going to be. Um, it's probably the chance that keeps him in the seat for next year, and I think that's the way you should be looking at it. Uh, I'd love to see him in the main game again. Um, and I think with someone like Jacobson, potentially someone like Pitha, um, they would be valuable um, enduro drivers for any team moving forward um, with the experience that they have. Um, but I think there's intent that um, Premier Racing showing. Uh, and I like that they're not kind of there just to make up the numbers. They're, they're there to race. And well, I think... The one you know, thing I think that is a big upgrade from last year with Team Sydney is that Team Sydney seemed very um what's the word adverse to investing money into the team to sort of bring it up the field mm. i don't know why sort of like they're saying that they're collecting a check it was a it was a trajectory what was a it was a theme from techno for the last three or four years before that yeah. like they had issues with lebrock and then there was a whole issue with, with boost pulling out with will davidson leaving with courtney leaving after boost pulled out because and they didn't disclose the reasons why but it seems yeah. pretty obvious now what the reasons were. Um, so it's good to see a team coming in and, and um, burning some and, cash. Yeah, well, not burning the cash, but like they're not making up a number. No, they're like there to race and they're, and they're putting, well. putting their money where their mouth is, um, which yeah. is really good to see. Um, what have we got next week? No races next week, do we? No. We've got a, le- we've got a lean week in, um, in 
motorsport. I think we got MotoGP in. again. No, MotoGP is still two weeks away. Yeah. Three weeks away. All right. Well, we might have a um, a bit of a oddball hold next week. Um, chew the fat on a few yep. of the I've mid-season stories. I might try and chase up. All right. Well, I think we'll have something out for you anyway. Um, yep. But as always, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for spending the time. Please spreading the, keep spreading the word. There's been a, a significant uptake in uh, engagement on our socials over the last three or four weeks. We're really enjoying that. Let's please keep it going. Um, and also... I don't know if you want to talk about this, Joe, but there's a few videos coming up on the rebranded the Racing Line TV on YouTube. Um, and there's a bit of a dabble that Joe and Harry are, are taking into the sim world, or at the very least starting to telecast some of the sim racing that they do. Um, and that seems to be pretty popular as well. So get on board with that if you have any interest in Assetto Corsa or just the new like, game. Just go like um, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, and then if you don't like what we're putting up, just like it anyway. Do your good deed for the week. <laughs> yeah. Um, just we'll help us it. get some engagement. Get that <laughs> algorithm working. Awesome. All right, boys. Thank you so much for your time. Have a great thanks, week. Mate. Thanks, yeah. buddy. And thanks for everyone for listening. Have a great thank night. You, mate. Cheers, guys.